This week's podcast brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, the leader in wetlands conservation going all the way back to 1937. Think about that. That's a lot of history of conserving waterfowl habitat and the uh, ducks and geese that we all are so passionate about. Uh, I'm a proud member and I also serve on the Dallas DU committee. Uh, I encourage you to get plugged in with your local Ducks Unlimited chapter uh, and, and join this great group of folks who are passionate about duck hunting and waterfowl conservation. For more info, head over to ducks.org. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities, to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. I hope you live long enough to forget half the stuff they've taught you. And when it's all said and done, I hope you've got your own set of rules to hang on to. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome, everybody, into episode 682 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. It is so great to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you folks. So thanks for dropping by, guys and gals. Uh, I just checked our social media demographics this past week as, you know, sending out contract renewals for sponsors and yeah, the, the part of the, I guess, the gig that I really don't like. <laughs> Uh, but they want to see those numbers. And so I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see that almost 15% of our followers are female. I imagine that transcends uh, to the radio show and podcast as well. Maybe even more so. But yes, ladies, y'all are doing uh, awesome work as you continue to grow that part of this amazing outdoor community. So uh, appreciate all of you for tuning in, especially uh, the women out there. So what's going on in the outdoors this week? Not a whole lot. I'm not going to lie. It is truly about the slowest time of the year, uh, unless you're getting after feral hogs with a, you know, a thermal or, or certainly early in the morning or late in the evening. Um, there's, there's just not much to do unless you're wetting a line. So maybe you have plans to drown some bait on the lake or at the coast. Uh, hopefully you do. But maybe you're a, hey, Maybe you're an artificial snob. There's nothing wrong with that either. <laughs> but uh, I typically on freshwater stick with the artificial. But when I make a trip that is essentially five to six hours to go to the coast, yeah, I'm going to use live bait because I want to go catching, not just fishing. And certainly the kids want to go catching too. Uh, so drown them if you got them. Um, what are we doing today? You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos. Black Rifle coffee, if you know what's good for you. Unapologetically patriotic. 
which seems appropriate with the 4th of July right around the corner. Uh, but anyway, we've got a, uh, a great roundtable to kick things off in the form of SCI's VP of Government Affairs, Ben Cassidy, and uh, Gabriella Huffman, host of the District of Conservation podcast. If you're not aware, the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, recently issued a proposed rule on conservation and landscape health. Seems like a, a good thing on, you know, at face value. But then you start reading it and it's like, whoa, uh, this stuff seems way too vague and open for interpretation to the point that it's incredibly concerning from a, a conservation and hunting sustainable use driven hunting perspective. So um, Gabby and Ben will be here and we will we'll dissect this proposed rule. Um, it could be potentially very dangerous or it could be really nothing at all. Only time will tell, but it is our job to share with the masses why it's so concerning. And, and personally, I, I don't think how you could read what we're gonna get into and not walk away being like, oh, why is the BLM doing that? Why are they considering preservation, conservation, when we know they are two entirely different things? Uh, so we'll get into all of that with Ben and uh, and Gabby. And uh, after that, we'll shift gears and talk some spring bear hunting with one of our oldest friends, uh, Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms. She is, to this day, completely obsessed with bear hunting. I don't know how many bear she has taken, but I, she's certainly hunted brown bear and uh, and hunts black bear just about every spring. Oh, no, she doesn't miss. <laughs> so uh, she has a wealth of knowledge and experience on bear hunting. Uh, just returned from Alberta, and I just got back from British Columbia. So maybe we'll compare uh, those experiences and uh, and the calibers and bullet selection that we used for those hunts. So looking forward to having Linda make her return to the program, as I always enjoy our conversations. That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. Uh, let's knock out a quick giveaway. And since Linda is here, um, how about a Mossberg prize pack? Cap, T-shirt, koozie, and a Mossberg uh, Nalgene bottle. And we'll give this away. All you need to do is uh, email. Let's do uh, 300 Win Mag today, since that's... To this day, still my favorite caliber of all time. 300 Win Mag to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and you were entered into today's Mossberg Swag Pack giveaway. Um, coming up next, Ben Cassidy and Gabriella Hoffman join us for an interesting roundtable discussion right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors Let Show. Let us take off our hats to our brothers in arms. And the chances that they never had We are blessed in the bounty of Texas tonight Let us drink to those who marched that road to Goliath It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology 
that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off of Virginia Parkway in McKinney. If you're looking for a new gun safe, you need to check out the Performance Firearm Storage Solutions from Securit. Unlike traditional safes, Securit products are designed to perform for you. They're lightweight, so you can discreetly store them in any room in the house, and the interior is completely customizable to fit your guns and gear. I would know. I've got four of them. Their fast-access storage system keeps my guns and optics organized so they never touch each other or get damaged, and I'm never more than an arm's length away from a firearm. The best part? They're always running great sales. Head over to SecureItGunStorage.com backslash cable to see their latest promotion, and you can thank me later. Hey, hey, Washington, that is Kevin Deal bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg, Cable Smith riding shotgun with you. And we've got a great roundtable discussion to dive into momentarily. Uh, perhaps a real threat to the way our public lands have been managed historically for sustainable use hunting and the North American wildlife management model. But first, this segment brought to you by the Sunslayer hoodie from Vortex Wear. Uh, I'll be heading down to the coast here in July. And I guarantee you I'll have that Sunslayer on every day. Why? Because when it's... 103 degrees outside, you put that thing on and it's still airy, light, keeps you cool. Uh, the hood obviously keeps those UV rays off of the back of your neck. And there's nothing better than being comfortable and cool on a sweltering summer's day uh, while you're doing one of the things you love to do the most, which will be uh, pursuing redfish and trout, for me anyway. Uh, so check it out. You can find the Sunslayer lineup at vortexoptics.com. Save 20% off your entire apparel order with that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out. And with that being said, let's bring them on right now, making their returns to the show, both semi-regular contributors here. Uh, but this duo has more knowledge of the going-ons behind the scenes in D.C. than you or I could ever hope to have. It's my pleasure to welcome SCI's VP of Government Affairs, uh, the host of their First for Hunters podcast, Jack of All Trades, Ben Cassidy, and uh, investigative journalist and host of the District of Conservation podcast, a longtime friend, Gabriella Hoffman. Thank you both for being here. Happy to come back. Great to be here, Cable. Thanks. So, Ben, you look a little different today. Typically, you're uh, dressed in a shirt and tie coming to us uh, from your office there on Capitol Hill, uh, but I think you're in your backyard bar right now. I am. She gave us a little virtual tour. It's nice, man. The weather must be nice in DC. It is. It is nice. Sunny, breezy, right, Gabby? Yeah, it's not bad. Mm -hmm. I figured yeah. why not zoom in from a, <laughs> a bar in my backyard, my happy place. It's like uh, 96 degrees here, so screw that. <laughs> um, so how's, uh, how's your summer going, Ben? Great, yeah. Everything's been really good so far. It's been fast and furious. It's going by really quickly feel like our team has been all over the country and all over the world, um, you know, tracking a lot of different threats that are that are going on. Um, I know we're going to talk some about what's happening here in the States. There's yeah. a lot of craziness going on over in Europe, too, right now and throughout the globe. Uh, but a lot of good work's being done, too. You know, I'd mm -hmm. say I got to give credit to our partners 
at FACE, you know, the European Hunting Federation, they did a first time effort um, where they had a petition signed uh, supporting hunting, emphasizing the role that we play as hunters in conservation, because that's been a big issue being voted on is biodiversity and how they're going to, you know, how, how they're going to manage their land and their wildlife um, in the years to come. Uh, and over there in Europe, like petitions, they're more than just, you know, your change.org petitions that just show a bunch of people feel a certain way. They actually have teeth to them and sure. they require response from the commission and from parliament. Uh, they have a whole committee that's set up called, called PETI, P-E-T-I. It's all about petitions. So this one was awesome because it's off the bat just got their attention. As, as soon as the signature started getting on there, the commission started asking for more facts, backing everything up, you know, showing the science, showing how hunting is making the difference, how it benefits livelihoods, how animals thrive in places where hunting takes place. Um, and it came down to the wire. Uh, they had a vote last week um, oh. and we won. It was a very narrow margin, but there was the whole docket that was put in place triggered by this petition, you know, that gave hunters a, a big win and just reinforce that we have a very important seat at the table. So that was really, really cool. And that just happened in the last week. Um, so which countries are the biggest players? In in Europe? Yeah. When this, um, the FACE, what you're talking about in this petition. Yeah. So FACE, they're unique. They're members. We're associate members. Um, so we go to their meetings and attend and, and give support where we can, work really closely together. But their membership are all the different hunting federations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, the biggest, strongest are going to be the ones that are in the European Union. You know, that's one big block. It plays a big role on, you know, CITES and different international treaties that determine um, how wildlife moves across uh, countries and, and lines. Um, so I think that they're they're the biggest block. And then you just look at like, where those traditions are, are the strongest and oldest. I mean, Germany, Italy, France. France is huge. You know, in France, to go hunting, you have to join the Federation because you've got to get your hunter certification over there. That requires being a member. So there are 2 million members there in France that are in their hunting Federation. And oh. I mean, they've got a monster budget. Like they run national TV ads, you know, showing like how hunters uh, make a positive impact. You know, they'll show like a, a nasty collision with the deer and then the hunter going in and, you know, cleaning it up or the hunter going out hunting to prevent that from happening, like the the rewind, um, which is cool. I mean, they're just playing on a different level and it's amped up over there. I mean, obviously you see it across the board cable um, and Gabby, just uh, how antis are. They're nasty. They come after Mm -hmm. people. They try to threaten. I mean, over there, it's like on another level though. It's just, it's Mm -hmm. crazy charge over there. I'm watching this TV show right now. Uh, it's about this. I think it's a Wyoming game warden, Joe Pickett. Have you heard of it? It's a, it's a mm. book, but it's also mm-hmm. a, uh, it's on Paramount plus and mm. like the, uh, this is season two and the, I guess the bad guy protagonist in this one is, is an anti hunting, like social media presence guy. Who's like going to schools and teaching kids that like hunting is bad. And if your parents yeah. are hunters they're <laughs> so it's very interesting, you know, just to, uh, it's not, it doesn't really seem like it's far from reality, you know, sure, right. people like, and teachers who are telling kids right now today, starting in elementary school, and then certainly by the university level, I mean, so few uh, young people who pursue a degree in wildlife management actually hunt anymore. Whereas, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it was 80%, 90%. Um, yeah. So oh, Gabby, I saw you just got back from Poma. 
Yes, in Oklahoma. And I was actually hanging out with Ben's associate from Virginia as well, Chris LaSavita. He was on my panel about digital media. So that was a lot of fun. We had a good kind of smaller event, but uh, next year we're going to South Carolina. So if you guys are interested, your listeners are interested getting involved in POMA, we're going to be having some interesting changes, positive changes, and uh, want to welcome everyone, budding communicators. They could be influencers, writers. What is POMA? What have you. Just for for folks that's not outdoor media association of which i'm a board member i'm secretary Uh oh awesome okay so y'all had a good conference going to south carolina next year okay um well let's not let's not waste any time today um i want to get into the the blm the largest public land owner entity in the in the country and they recently published a proposed rule on conservation and landscape health before we dissect that proposal though, Ben, what is the BLM's function at its core and how in pertaining to hunting and conservation? Yeah, well, sure. Obviously like BLM Bureau of Land Management um, falls under the Department of the Interior. Like you said, it's the biggest chunk of land. It's mostly out West. I, anyone that I'm, anyone who lives out West that I'm explaining this to right now is like, yeah, we already know fast forward, right. but in the East, we don't really have many parcels. I mean, there's like little nuggets like down same in Florida. here. Yeah. Yeah. Texas, for sure. Not. I mean, private land, public land's tough in general in Texas outside of Big Ben. But uh, I mean, BLM at its core is multi-use. It has a multi-use mandate. Right. So it's longest term use of the land possible because we have people that are, you know, they make their livelihoods off of BLM land, whether it's, you know, grazing um, the mineral rights that exist on BLM land. I mean, that's it's it's enormous. And the hunting opportunities out there. Are, are incredible, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember when I when I worked at Interior, you know, I would ask, like, the, some of the staff at the BLM was like, you know, how much of BLM land is open to hunting? And they just look at me like it was a silly question, like, well, all of it, you know, it's multiple use, you know, but how mm-hmm. much of it is actually open to hunting? Like, no, all of it, you know, okay. Like shooting ranges, right? You have the public shooting ranges, they're all over out west on BLM and used to that advantage. Um, so it's really critical land um, managed by the feds. You know, mm-hmm. that can get a little sticky out West a lot of times. Uh, lots of really great people working at BLM, um, especially the folks that are on the ground out West. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's uniquely American, right? Oh, yeah. So I, I would assume that would make it the biggest, um, probably the biggest land managing entity in the world, thinking about the hundreds of millions mm-hmm. of acres I, Europe doesn't have this. It's all privatized hunting, you know. Yeah. Um, it's got to be. Uh, Canada probably has quite a bit of. Pub- I know they have a lot of public land, uh, but they th- their government leases that usually to hey ex outfitter. Here's your you know your square mileage that you lease that you pay. You know, same thing. They're leasing it. Um, so- yeah. Good perspective. I don't have the exact numbers. We look it up later. Um, I mean, like the state of Utah is like 70%, like mm-hmm. land, right? And 66, yeah. 66. Wow. And then, but then so the Nevada, right, is like in the 70s. Gabby's right? like mm-hmm. an encyclopedia on this. Yeah. <laughs> I did a report on this last year. I went there. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. I narrated, <laughs> remember, yeah. factoids. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, so it's the wording in this proposal that has all of us collectively raising our eyebrows and other pro hunting organizations kind of doing the same thing. And Gabby, you've been, you know, you send me, uh, links to stuff. Did you see this? Did you see? Of course, backcountry hunters and anglers and the uh, Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership 
are the first ones that are applauding. Yay, yay, yay. I don't understand. So I start looking at it. I'm like, wait, the wording is very concerning because of this. What they're trying to do is allow for the leasing of BLM land for conservation. But while we're doing that, we're going we're gonna to rewrite conservation and turn mm -hmm. it into preservation. Gabby, what's the difference between conservation and preservation? It's pretty easy to dissect the differences. And then we can go into kind of if this is a new thing or if conservation is already implied in federal law, which it is. Mm -hmm. But conservation, as we all know, and your listeners know, is the wise use of natural resources. That also includes recreational opportunities, accessing public lands. And preservation, which is good in, I would say, small amounts. We like national parks. There is a need for it in certain areas of the country, absolutely. And actually, 40% of all federal lands, those managed uh, by the federal government, are already off limits to multiple uses. People don't know that, but the Geological Service has said that as well. But preservation is essentially viewed as no human input, no human access, um, leave everything to nature. And it, an extreme view of that would be rewilding efforts, which is what all of us have documented for hunting efforts, um, 30 by 30 and all these other policies. And even this BLM rule could fit into that as well. It, it could be used perhaps for 30 by 30, uh, creating more non-uses to then create Antiquities Act designations, which would create national monuments, which should allow hunting and fishing, but oftentimes they don't because they don't recognize uh, the contributions of state wildlife management agencies. Um, but a FLIPMA, which is the law that governs public lands, as Ben was alluding to with BLM and, and their um, multiple use mandate, conservation uses are already implied. Are they enforced? Hardly in many cases. Um, so as Ben was saying, the multiple use model, which does recognize recreational opportunities as well, would potentially be threatened if this rule were to be adopted. However, if you read the fact sheet, they try to placate concerns and say, we're not going to change the model. You don't have to fear this. But embedded in the rule, they say, and, and this is more, and I can probably speak more freely to this because I cover energy as well, Ben, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you remember this from your time in interior, of course, too, but something that stuck out to me, and if you're a conservationist, you want the best use of land, they say that in line with this conservation use, you could have carbon offsets and you could have these clean energy projects proceed as long as they're promising to mitigate the impact of these projects through carbon offsets or promising to create wildlife habitat uh, destroying high habitat uh, for creating low quality habitat in turn um, without accounting for what the projects may do environmentally and ecologically. Um, there are many, many concerns. I've documented this very extensively with certain clean energy projects, wind and solar, wind in particular out west. A lot of people are very concerned about its impacts on wildlife corridors, uh, what it'll do to underwater aquifer sources, things of that sort. And um, sometimes the damage from those projects can be tenfold of what uh, oil, coal, and gas, and even nuclear does. Um, and so when I see some of kind of the inconsistencies with what are we going to be using BLM land for? We want clean energy, but there's no need to look into it. Or um, we're going to destroy high quality habitat with deforestation and substitute it and, and promote low quality habitat just by buying carbon offsets. That doesn't sit well with me. And then the whole lease component, which I think Ben can speak to um, more as well, but it creates a system where very wealthy preservationist groups, our friends who don't like hunting uh, yeah. more specifically, are going to use the monies that they have at their disposal, millions of dollars, maybe even billions, to bid on these leases, outbid grazers, mi uh, mining leases, individuals, outfitters, anyone who they say is going to be open to this process. They're certainly going to have more weight 
and and likely be given these leases because they can bid more money. It's gonna it's gonna create an unfair system, and then it's also gonna create kind of a thing we shrug against, you know, the privatization of public lands, and and it's gonna create that system so where why would BHA be applauding it? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like based off of what you just said, BHA backcountry hunters and anglers all about public land opportunity and access. Why are they applauding something that is a potential threat to the very vein of their existence? I mean, I'll speak to SCI. You know, we saw the proposed rule come out mm -hmm. uh, and reviewed it. And obviously it's trying to put, you know, on face, it's putting conservation at equal footing with other uses, right? That's right. how it's couched. That's what the fact sheet is. And we're conservationists. That, that's centered to our mission, right? Right. Protect the freedom to hunt. In, 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 in wildlife conservation worldwide. Like, okay. So if I'm seeing something that has to do with conservation, I want to be able to celebrate it. Right. Right. But if I'm reading over this thing and then I'm getting more and more questions and I am answers out of reading over it. And I start to just have my mind drift towards, is this, you know, a solution, a, a, sol a, a solution in search of a problem? Like, what is it? Like what tools do they not currently have to be able to do what they say they want to do? Why does there have to be a whole new reworking of it with right. the rule? Well, is, this, is it is the where, system where, broken? Where was the opportunity to ask these questions before this came out in the in the federal register, right? Right. So that's when it's just like, no, I don't support this. I oppose this, and we're going to thoughtfully go through all these issues and have hopefully have a conversation, see this thing tossed, put aside, and then reworked, where right. it actually has stakeholder input. And that's like not, the worst thing ever. Yeah, would I mean, be that, if, that's across uh, the board. If like defenders for wildlife or. Um, NRDC, yeah, or you know, um, CBD, PETA or yeah, Humane Society, oh, Center for Biological Diversity, one of the worst. If they got their hands on these lands, it, it would effectively just be shut down to everything, sure. Like, like okay, yep. of course, so no, no use, the land's just sitting there being utilized for essentially nothing, nobody's benefiting, and that's their goal shut it down, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It ends up just it reads to me like. BLM wanting to be a park service, right? <laughs> like that's its aspiration right there, like on paper. That's just how it looks. So I just want to get clarity on how you're not going to damage and affect, you know, what the multi-use mandate is. Can we yeah. not get to the solution we're all after without this sort of proposed rule? Well, so the obvious question is, uh, was the system broken? And do you think it required this level of tweaking? I mean... In your opinion. Every bit of land is fought over, right? Yeah. And there's different opinions on how it should be used. I think that this shows colors of the current administration on how they want to see it used. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, an SCI was right there on the forefront when Deb Hallen was, you know, nominated by Biden saying, hey, will you support a no net loss hunting um, ideology? And she was like, she just wouldn't do it. And we've we've only I mean, we have lost we've we've lost millions of acres in Alaska and now she, we're losing. She, she didn't commit to it and neither uh -huh. did any other political appointee that we asked that we didn't only ask her. We asked everyone else that had some sort of stake in managing our public lands. Can you commit to the simplest, lowest bar possible for hunters? Yeah. No net loss of access. Not asking for more. Just don't take it away. Can you commit right. to it? No. And now we see the shoe drop and the shoe drops in many ways. Like you said, Alaska, millions of acres shut down. You look at lead phase outs, that's economic access, shutting it down. I mean, big win last week, you know, with Fish and Wildlife Service denying CBD, our best friend that we just talked about, denying their petition to have a national phase out. Like, thank goodness. Yeah. But now I just get concerned, like, 
okay, you're not going to give it to them this way. Are you just going to start phasing out, you know, one by one, the way you were doing in the last hunt fish rule? And we'll see the next hunt fish rule, hopefully this week. I know that it's like in the whole signature process. It should be all wrapped up, but I'm not excited to see what's in it. Mm-hmm. I know that we're, we're going to fight it tooth and nail though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, through my, I guess, battle with Texans from outlines here in Texas, you know, I've spoken out against these organizations for my entire career. That was the first time where I was like on the front line in my own state, taking them head on, going to, to the, the, the Capitol and speaking or, you know, the Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, Commission meetings. And the thing I, I walked away from that realizing was how well organized and how well funded our opposition is. And that's why this is scary. Like Gabby said, like, well, if they could pony up tens of millions of dollars for each lease because they've duped these people and, you know, with their emotional uh, pleas for funding, save the wildlife, you know, okay, well, hunters are already doing that, but no, that's not what their messaging is. Then, uh, you know, that's a major threat. Yep. And we've seen it happen. I mean, it's a shared playbook internationally. I mean, in Canada, we've seen it happen with, with, with hunting leases, you know, bought up by, by anti-hunting groups, animal rights groups, where they just lock it down and don't use the land for what it's supposed to be used for. Um, this is just possibly a different way to do it here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do this. Let's knock out a quick break. We'll come back and touch on the uh, potential threat from the green decoys. If, uh, if you guys even think there really are green decoys, among other things. That segment brought to you by my friends over at Big and Shea Whitetail Attractants and Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. We'll be right back with more from Ben Cassidy and Gabriella Hoffman on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. And the night is like a dagger Long and cold and sharp As I sit here on the front steps Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use e-forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Time to tell you about Protect Products. Veteran-owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is, they don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. She's a star, and she shines, Lord knows why, God Okay, 
Abel Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. Speaking of Mossberg, uh, they are the proud sponsor of this segment. The Mossberg Patriot. I've got a safe full of them. And I think the smallest caliber I have is a 243, with the biggest being a uh, 375 Ruger for dangerous game. But they make even smaller. You want a uh, 22250? That's what I introduced Henry uh, into hunting with. Or uh, you want a 300 Win Mag, a 7 Mag, a 7 PRC? Yeah. Plus, of course, the old 6.5. Everybody's favorite whipping boy. Uh, yep. Woodstocks, composite laminate, you name it. Uh, check it out. It's the Mossberg Patriot Series Ruggedly American Reliably Built Firearms from our friends over at Mossberg. With that being said, let's get back into our conversation with SCI's Ben Cassidy and our friend Gabriella Huffman of the District of Conservation podcast. Uh, Gabby, this one's for you. When the term green decoy came out, oh, I don't know, four or five years ago, mm. what did you think of it then and what do you think of it now when it comes to people or groups within our ranks that maybe don't have our best interests at heart? Do you think there's that- legitimacy to that? I think it's been vindicated for those who were actively using it. And I know we all have friends in some of these organizations and we have to be careful, you know, about how we go about the terminology, you know, directly criticizing them. I operate more behind the scenes when I'm, when I'm looking into this, but um, there is some validity to it, especially if they're aiding and abetting these groups and then putting out public lands platitudes. It seems like cognitive dissidence. And then you don't see these groups. It's manifold. Um, coming out to protect and and defend various forms of hunting because they see, well, I don't like shooting with this type of weapon or this type of hunting is really like un- un- uncanny or it's very bad and I don't like this. It's, it's cruel and unusual, but I like other forms of hunting. Um, they're not thinking big picture. They're not thinking what is at stake. And I think a lot of people think kind of in a short-term manner, they don't kind of view big picture. And that's always a problem in politics. And sometimes, you know, groups that have good intentions, perhaps, they have very kind of short sighted view into this and even procedurally, um, in terms of implementation, Ben, I think you've heard uh, Senator Barrasso and others have said this, I don't think the rule can actually be adopted. It may be in violation of the Congressional Review Act because it mimics a lot of a previous rule from 2016 that was undone in 2017. Almost word for word, you see similar language platitudes. It just has a slightly new name, but it's a similar conservation rule to put so-called conservation uses on equal footing with other multiple uses. Um, So this rule was already deliberated. The Congress, when the new administration came in, decided to revoke it because there were many, many concerns with it. Most Republicans and I think even a handful of Democrats said we can in good conscience support this. So they had the full vote uh, between the House and the Senate, went for president or went to President Trump's desk and he basically signed it into law saying this rule can't proceed. And under that stipulation, you can't repeat the same rule. Only Congress can define what conservation is because of FLIPMA. Uh, FLIPMA is what, like I said, guides um, the federal land policy and management. There we go. Uh, FLIPMA, that's what it's called for short. It already guides what is conservation. You'd have to change that law to see so-called conservation leases adopted. So a lot of people may argue, a lot of people may actually oppose this on legal grounds and procedural grounds because the rule has already been tried and, and you can't duplicate it. So actually it may fall into this kind of um, no-go zone, kind of bad territory 
of not being able to go into enactment because of these rules. So maybe some rules and uh, separation of powers will help us here, and perhaps lawsuits uh, when the final rule is put out and it's perhaps uh, forecasted to be our worst fears to redefine what multiple uses, to redefine what conservation is. So uh, the judicial branch, I think, and also lawsuits will help us if it's what we believe our worst fears are. Yeah. And Senator Brasso from Wyoming, whom you brought up, Gabby, he's received uh, high accolades from SCI over the years. He's a past federal legislator of the year. Mm -hmm. Uh Yeah, He's the man. Yeah. He was the first to say, I will work to defeat this and repeal this. And he he was the one who wrote the statement saying that this was not legal because Mm -hmm. of precedents from Congress. And, And we've seen this with many directives relating to our issues. Regulatory agencies are exceeding their bounds. We're it falls in the court of Congress to do this. So they're creating rules, um, much like with recreational fishing, as they are trying to do in hunting, exceeding their bounds. And so in this argument, we could even say that BLM is exceeding their grounds, trying to act like Congress creating new policy when they are supposed to be limited in what they can do in terms of that. So I, I want to be you know, looking half full with respect to this, because I know challenges to this will be um, there. And I, I have a feeling some moderate Democrats will say, like they have with WOTUS and some other rules that have been handed out, they believe that probably their constituents were not consulted. So you'll see maybe Tester, maybe Manchin, maybe a handful of others from Arizona saying, whoa, 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 what's going on with this rule? Like our people were not consulted. We need more discretion. And so I, I kind of see it like going where other environmental or conservation pieces have gone. I want to look at it like that um, and, and and think that'll be the case. But that doesn't mean you dismiss the potential worst case scenario that Ben and I have been talking about, because uh, we've worked in policy long enough to see that what is coming out uh, from Washington, unfortunately, doesn't look to be positive for sportsmen and women, even though they're saying that this is great. We have the best interests of sportsmen at hand, uh, but it seems like they're directly being petitioned by these preservationist groups totally obfuscating the stakeholder process. And I hear from local people on the ground who say, sure, we'll get a visit from Secretary Halland. And we've talked to some people from DC. Um, the local people, like Ben said, are great and they don't always agree with what happens in Washington from their agency. So there, mm-hmm. there is a bit of a difference um, sometimes of what is playing out locally versus what is happening from Washington in terms of directives. But yes, the, the, the future of conservation stakeholder relations, I think is at jeopardy. Um, here, especially if this rule proceeds, because then it's going to totally upend the model and make it harder for hunters and English to have a say, um, even though monetarily we do contribute a huge bulk. Yeah, that's of the funding. huge thing right there. And I'm glad you brought it up because I was like thinking in my head, well, yeah, you you put restrictions on these massive swaths of public land, you take away opportunity and then you've just, you know, neutered the entire funding mechanism of you know license tags uh even you know uh a 10 or 15 dollar access permit or whatever it is you know all that just wasted and then there's no funding i always just say you know use land is love land right like how are you gonna have a connection to land if you never get to use it right in some way so you want to block it off and lock it out and not have people touching it no one's gonna have any investment in it let's see where that goes yeah i don't think that's the way god intended it you know like (laughs) uh, there's too much beauty out there to see and experience what about what and as we're wrapping up i think we've covered what i wanted to talk about on on this topic but the biden administration's kind of found themselves in hot water with the uh the navajo nation in new mexico Mm -hmm. because they're trying to tell these people that hey you can't you can't 
potentially drill on your land because we're going to prevent you from doing that in the name of, uh, you know, saving the climate or whatever BS that they're spewing is to today. But what are your, what are your all's thoughts on that? Yeah, they, they say they love and respect tribal input, but on certain issues, they totally dismiss their concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, the Navajo Nation example you point to in New Mexico, not surprising to see that. Um, they did that right after he first got into office and he said no new oil and gas leases. And then he did make some exemptions for the Ute tribe and some others. But a lot of those tribes did not get exemptions. Their concerns were not heard. We also have seen kind of a similar disregard for input in Alaska. Um, similarly with different energy projects and even some conservation related policy. And I even want to point back to the Antiquities Act. Uh, this happened in, where was it? Colorado, the Ute tribe. I think they're perhaps the boldest and, and they're going to say more. And, and I think uh, more are going to join in the chorus to say that we don't agree with this, um, but they were not properly consulted. And we saw a very scathing condemnation of them designating a monument in Colorado on historic Ute tribe land without their consultation. So we even see this administration alienating tribal interests, which they say they regard and they esteem. Right. And, and these are esteemed opinions. We need to look to them. And they they dismiss tribal input, especially on critical issues. Where are they on forest management? Uh, Native Americans have long said pri- prescribed burns are necessary. And if you have no multiple uses, what's going to happen to that forest land if you can't properly maintain it? We're going to see more high intensity forest fires. Um, going back to, like I said, this kind of native tradition of, of respecting fire and using fire for good to prevent, you know, long, you know, worse fires, high intensity fires in the future. Um, but they're even ignoring them on different issue areas, energy, conservation, and um, national monuments, and even preservation policy too. So it's it's very particular in terms of what tribes they look to or what tribal perspectives they want to seek out. And so that is a concern. And I, I would hope those of us in the hunting and fishing space look to work with them. I've always been wanting to work with them. I know many of them do hunting and fishing and they feel kind of lost. You know, who do you lean to? Um, maybe they're skeptical of certain federal government in- interference. Um, perhaps, and I think in some instances, they've even had some of their hunting opportunities potentially lost, I think in Alaska and some other places too. So they have worked, um, you know, with some hunting and angling interests to, to stop any overreach from the federal government. But Ben, do you want to chime in on that too? That's kind of my take of it. No, I think you covered it really well, Gabby. I mean, I think it's just, it's not just isolated incident with the Navajo Nation, but like you said, it goes back to day one of Biden coming into office. Um, I think that's why you saw, you know, the House Republicans, as soon as they took over, their first bill was on, you know, American energy. Uh, you mm-hmm. just have a shutdown across the board, regardless of how it's affecting American people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's uh, they, they like to have, you know, uh, say nice things about how, how they care about people until there's an exception to the rule. right? Well, and you saw with the Keystone Pipeline, they all they their union endorsed Biden. And the first thing he did was say, we're, we're shutting that down, mm-hmm. boys. Like, yeah. and then they're like, oh, look at all the egg on my face. Oh, well, OK. Uh, but this one was just in the news, you know, last week. That's why I wanted mm-hmm. to bring it up. And they did protest. They, I think Deb Howland was, uh, uh, she was attending, I guess, a celebration of telling these people that they can't, you know, <laughs> lease oil, you know, have oil leases on their own land. And then they blocked, they blocked the road access because they were pretty pissed off about it. So, yeah, um, which I applaud. You know, I, I think Americans are tired of being told what we can and can't do across the board, more rules or uh, rules for thee, but not for me, that, uh, that mindset. So uh, yeah, well, anyway. just, uh, on that too, with Navajo nation, you know, we, we were at CITES in Panama uh, last year uh, in the late fall and 
the head of their DNR for Navajos was there, you know, because a big topic and point of discussion was um, indigenous peoples and local communities. So she was, you know, there for that discussion. It's it huh. interesting. It just sounded like I was listening to somebody facing the same issues in, in Africa, you know, yeah. um, and the great work that they do to be able to manage wildlife and have healthy populations. Yeah. Well, and having just gotten back from South Africa, I mean, it's, it always reiterates, reaffirms that, you know, what we're doing here works. And when we, we give other countries the playbook and they adopt it, then we can't just, you know, a decade later be like, actually, yeah. uh, that doesn't work for us anymore. Right. Well, why? We have more, more lions and more rhinos and more giraffe than we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it makes us feel bad when you, when you guys shoot them or let someone hunt them. So anyway, yeah, it's modern day colonialism. I hate it, but we'll keep fighting it. Um, thanks for everything that you guys do. Gabby, um, district of conservation podcast, obviously Ben SCI, our longtime title sponsor and, uh, appreciate everything you guys do. Uh, and, and just to reiterate, SCI is, is certainly proactive around the globe, but you guys do just as much work here in North America day in and day out as, uh, as any conservation organization. So, and I think it's what, $65 to join for the year to become a member. That's it. Yep. Yeah. So I renewed my membership. I think double. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Nice. Thanks. Hopefully you, yeah. hopefully you took advantage of it. Maybe you got a tactic cam out of it. You know, I don't think <laughs> I got anything right out of it, now. but I'm happy yeah. to support it. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Safari Y'all check it out. Thank you guys both very much. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Thank you cable right. for having us. Take Thanks care. so much. So there you have it, SCI's Ben Cassidy and our friend and journalist, Gabriella Hoffman. Uh, always great checking in with them. The first time we've done a roundtable with the two of them, though. That segment brought to you by Stealth Cam and the Deceptor wireless cellular camera. You can find the Deceptor as well as Stealth Cam's entire lineup of trail cameras right there at StealthCam.com. Up next, we're talking spring bear hunting with Mossberg's Linda Powell on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. The water's deeper, the wine works fine, but the whiskey's cheaper. Now turn it around quick before your sun goes down. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guides scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. 
In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Hey girl, don't you know The singer gets a check every rodeo Ain't gotta make the shore go At the beer garden, baby, yeah, I'm the show Oh, I'll be playing all night Till the drinks run out or drunk start to fight Oh, I'll be dreaming of the grandstand lights Down At the beer garden, road, baby, yeah, I'm the show Tyler Halverson bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for dropping by today as we're about to check in with one of our more regular guests, a longtime friend of the program. She's absolutely obsessed with spring bear hunting and has more bear hunting experience than just about anyone you'll come across. And we'll jump into it with Linda Powell momentarily. First, though, this segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and the 600-pound Stand and Fill. You can find it and their entire lineup of feeders at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right, joining us now, our good friend, Mossberg's Linda Powell. Thanks for being here, Linda. Thanks, Cable. Good to see you. Likewise, likewise. So uh, I think we're going to talk some bear hunting today as we both return from successful trips. But first... I had something happen that I, I knew would happen eventually, but it, it had never, well, I, I'd seen it happen to other hunters on trips, but my luggage had always shown up before. I, I saw your post about that. Yeah, <laughs> until this time. But you invest so much time and resources and money into traveling to hunt uh, that I always kept my, my hunting boots and at least one pair of hunting clothes in my carry-on bag. And, uh, yeah, it, I'm glad that I did because I would have been SOL on this hunt. Yeah, that's one of the key points I always tell people. Think about that. There's no guarantees your luggage you can get there. So at least have some basics with you so you don't lose a day or two of your hunt. Yeah, yeah. So toiletries and at least one set of hunting clothes. I was hunting mule deer in old Mexico back in January, and these three dudes from Houston showed up. I, I'd been there for two days. They showed up. There was four of them, actually, but three of them didn't have any luggage. Uh, and it was cold so they were hunting in like pajamas and crocs oh my gosh (laughs) i I gave them you know we're riding riding around on a high rack yeah and uh and it's like 35 40 degrees they were freezing the worst part was though is that they shared a toothbrush these three guys oh oh they they, they put it in a you know we're in mexico so they sure had a cup of tequila and they just put the toothbrush (laughs) in the tequila and the three dudes shared a toothbrush I think I would have okay. been brushing with like a little toothpaste in my finger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> so I've seen it happen. Um, but that was the first time it happened to me. So. It's happened to me over the years. I would say at least three or four times. And typically it's always been out of country, mm-hmm. um, you know, Canada or somewhere else internationally. And it's usually been where it's uh, like a, a tent camp or something where you need like sleeping bags and all kinds of gear. Oh, um, so it's it's challenging, but you find out quickly who your friends are if you can borrow some gear from everybody. Yeah, no doubt about that. 
my bag did just show up at the hunting lodge though so kudos okay. to uh air canada for magically making it appear and, right uh, i was like I, I don't know if this thing will ever show up i don't know where it is <laughs> i can't i can't track it they don't they won't tell me where it is but then yeah just uh, somebody drove it a two-hour round trip and there it was two days into the hunt yeah mine, mine has always shown up i've never had a situation where i went the whole trip and didn't receive my bags but uh-huh. uh, i have had two or three days without them yeah okay well so how was your uh, how was your bear hunt well, you know, I would say this was probably one of the best that I've had maybe ever. And this particular oh, wow. camp is in northern you Alberta. You've done a lot of bear hunting. Yeah, so that's saying yeah. something. Yeah. This particular camp Do you in know northern... how many bears you've taken at this point? Um, 30-ish. 30-ish? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up to four, so you've got me beat by quite a few. Um, yeah. So this was in northern Alberta. Northern Alberta. I've been going to the same camp for, gosh close to 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, missed a few years here and there, thanks to COVID and some other things, but we always consistently take some really mature bears by that, you know, we have a group of six to eight hunters and we'll take two or three or, you know, several in that seven foot category. Mm-hmm. And actually the very first time I went up there, I took one that was an eight foot square. So oh, wow. big bears, but what I've noticed, the uh, Last year, we had an incredible year. This year topped it. We had a total of nine hunters. And in that particular area, you get two tags each. So Mm. we could have taken up to 18 bears. We took 16. Mm. And of those 16, 12 of them measured seven foot or better. And we had another one that hit the eight foot mark. Um, And just it's amazing to me to see consistently that many large mature bears um, and over the years, as I said, we've, we've always had big bears, but um, pretty incredible year. And they do four weeks of hunts and they had similar success on the other three weeks too. Did the outfitter give you any kind of idea as to why? They're... Well, I think, I think there's a couple of reasons. I mean, um, and that area, uh, you know, unfortunately, because of COVID, uh, other hunting operations have gone out of business. So I think mm-hmm. he's one of only two in the area hunting. Uh, and if you think about it, we did have two, he lost three years uh, to mm-hmm. COVID due to travel restrictions. And so you didn't have a lot of people hunting. Uh, the locals don't hunt uh, bears very often. And they've had a lot of fires in surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of kind of created that perfect storm where we just had a lot of big bears in the area. But because I've had close to 20 years of history, I think it also shows the success of managing and taking, we really try to focus on taking big mature boars. Mm -hmm. And I think that really shows how it impacts the uh, population as well. Oh, no doubt. And is this uh, tree stands or? It is, it is. It's tree stands. It's a baited hunt in this area. It's about the only way you could hunt them there uh, just because it's so thick. And I have come to really enjoy that simply because of being able to observe the bears. It gives you time to really kind of try to age them, make sure you're taking a boar instead of a sow. Um, I had one night where, in fact, it was my last night. I shot a really nice bear that measured right at seven feet, but I'm not sure that I shot the biggest bear. I had four big bears in there kind of jockeying for position. And this one by far had the nastiest attitude. So that's why I decided (laughs) to shoot him. (laughs) 
<laughs> he acted like he was the biggest bear, whether he was or not. <laughs> That's incredible that you guys saw so many mature boars. I yeah. did not have that same experience. My, my hunt was, was wonderful. It was on uh, Vancouver Island. And I place that I'd never been. The scenery was beautiful. You know, oh, you're yeah. up in the mountains and uh, overlooking the the ocean on clear days. You could see into to Washington from some of the uh, vantage points. Um, but the hunting was tough. It was it was unseasonably hot. It was you know 90 huh. degrees. It, I left Texas and I was like, holy crap, it's the same here. And they were like, yeah, this is <laughs> this is not normal for us, um, right? And so the the hunting was tough. We saw average of maybe five or six bears a day only saw That's one the last good. day though so and it's all uh it was different than because i've done bear hunts with hounds i've done them in alberta sitting in a tree stand right but i had never done uh just glass from one mountain to the other and then try to get over there and make a play on were you in a lot of clear cuts, logging oh, yeah. areas? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I'd, I've been on Vancouver Island, I guess, three or four times. I, mm -hmm. Like you said, incredibly beautiful place to hunt. But I don't think you typically see the number of bears that you see like we did on the baited hunt. Yeah. But uh, they do have some good quality bears. You got one, right? I got I, yeah, I used the uh, Patriot uh, 300 Win Mag. And nice. Yeah, I got an exit wound, and the, I mean, I think it was 100 and gray, 180 grain uh, federal power shock, and it just it destroyed it. It didn't. Nice. It ran. Yeah. It ran 10 feet, and then there was the death moan, which that's such that's another thing about bear hunting. I, I've heard an elk make a noise, a weird noise when he expired. I don't think I've heard other animals. I mean, to be graphic, some of them like make a gurgling. But that's not yes. what the death moan is. It's it's no. a real distinct just noise that a bear makes. Yes. And and you don't always get that on a bear either, I will tell you. But when you do, it's the sound you don't soon forget. It's mm -hmm. very eerie. My cameraman thought it was the coolest thing ever. He'd never experienced <laughs> he hasn't been on a lot of big game hunts. Right. And uh, I was like, Yeah, Steve, that's cool, but just cut it out of the video. Yeah, it's a little it's a little too a little too much. Visceral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was a great hunt, and uh, I, I think I'd definitely go back there and do it again. Another one of my buddies, though, a, a longtime outdoor writer, Connor Harrison, he was actually on my plane, and he was going up to Terrace, which is somewhere up north from where we were. They were doing a cool hunt where they, they checked crab pots and shrimp and stuff in the mornings and then bear hunted in the afternoons. Yeah, and people don't realize bear hunting does tend to be more of an afternoon, evening uh, hunt and particularly when you have the temperatures like you did 90 degree weather pretty much keeps them inactive except at night so yeah, yeah. I did Vancouver Island a few years back and we actually uh, went out to it, around the estuaries when the tides were low and the bears actually came down and would feed um, there and that was a pretty huh. exciting hunt that's cool so yeah you got more into the coastal experience we didn't, yes. we didn't do that on this one well, uh, let's take a break, Linda. We'll come back, and I want to get into the calibers that we each used on our hunts this spring and how they performed. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by the NUMA Pathfinder Pant. From the backcountry to the boat dock to the airport to the bar, doesn't matter. I wear these things everywhere. Uh, they are durable, ruggedly constructed, and yet extremely comfortable. And you can find the Pathfinder Pant at NUMA Outdoors. Dot com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. You're married just for kicks and move out to a let's go up there. 
Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. And Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over a hundred years. They'll do the same for you. If you're ready to take that next step and make the dream of owning your own land reality, then head over to LoneStarAgCredit.com. Hey guys, Cable here for Armasite. If you're looking to light up the night, whether that's with thermal or night vision, then you need to head over to armorsite.com. That's where you can find all of the thermal night vision monoculars, uh, thermal weapon sights, and of course, night vision nods. Yeah, those cool looking helmets, the one that I have. Yeah, buddy. You can find them over at armorsite.com. They've got it all right there. And even better than that, they've got some new stuff coming down the pike, like the 640 contractor. I've got the 320, 640, even better. You can find it all at armorsite.com. I've been jailed the time of three. And I'm not saying that's a man I'll be. That's the Bodarks, Take Me As I Am, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you, as always, and we're still visiting with Mossberg's Linda Powell, uh, talking a little spring bear hunting today. We'll get back into that conversation in just a sec. This segment, though, brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit and the Armasite 640 Contractor. If you're looking for a thermal, look no further than the 640, the image quality, bar none, the best you're going to find. Diverse color palette, the interface, you know, the little buttons that you control the unit with. Some of these things are extremely clunky. Uh, I found that the contractor lineup is the most user-friendly that is available. And you can find the 640 contractor along with the 320, its little brother, right there at armasite.com. Uh, all right, Linda, well... Getting back to our time spent in Canada chasing black bear, uh, what caliber did you take on your hunt and how did it perform? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. The majority of the group took the uh, new 7mm PRC and our Patriot Predator. Uh, a couple of us took the 450 Bushmaster. And then we had one person that opted to shoot our, our 940 Pro Field Gun with mm. slugs. Um, so it was kind of nice to have that mix. And how did the shotgun perform? flawlessly uh in fact uh, really impressive in fact for that type of hunt um slug slug gun would probably be my number one choice i've used a little bit of everything so either a 20 or a 12 gauge slug gun is a great choice for that but the last two years i've used that 450 bushmaster and i have to tell you it is so decisive the energy that it delivers that i really think that's kind of my my go-to bear gun now for mm. that up, up close action mm. Interesting. Okay. And then the, uh, the seven PRC, well, seven millimeter PRC. I mean, it's just an impressive performer. I've seen it now on multiple hunts shot at the range. And I just think Hornady has a winner there with, uh, with that particular cartridge. I'm thinking about my, my seven mag and I'm usually shooting, I think like 162 grain bullet. When you talk about the PRC, yeah, it's a little bit heavier. I want to say it's a 170, but I, I'm not exactly okay. sure. I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's one of the things you can really maximize with that cartridge. 
And so did you end up taking two bears? I did. I did. I, uh, my first one measured, uh, seven, one. And then the other one, as I said, was just right at seven. And did anybody take a color phase bear? Yes, we had one, nice. one nice kind of, uh, milk chocolate, um, beautiful mm-hmm. bear. Yeah. It was really interesting that we had a couple of people on their first hunts and first bear hunts. And the guy that took the eight footer, that was his first bear ever. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So he's ruined now. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. And then another guy who was on his first hunt, um, it was a six and a half foot chocolate. And then he also, also shot a seven one, uh, just black bear. But yeah. I, I told both of them, I said, you go anywhere else to hunt. Don't expect these types of results. Right. I mean, it's just very unusual. It's interesting, my guide on Vancouver Island, because I asked him, I said, you know, do you guys get any color phase bears here? And he goes, no, we don't get any. Um, his his school of thought or what he had been taught over the years was the wetter the climate, the um, least likely you are to see a color phase. It's more of a dry climate hmm. situation. Interesting. Yeah, I'd never know. heard that. But he said they'd never I... have them there. But Some you of know, the bears is, have a, a white blaze on their chest. Yes, I, lo- I love it when you see that. Beautiful, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I've just found, and again, genetics, I don't know what the, the reasoning is, but it's very much regional. You find it in just cert- certain areas tend to have a higher percentage of color phase, and mm-hmm. but not found across the country. So, I think a lot of the those younger color phase bears get shot because people. Well, of course they do. (laughs) It's such a unique trophy that most people. Yeah. Don't don't say I'm going to pass. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was your big hunt for the spring. Um, What is it? What is coming up next for you? Um, Well, you know, summer, a little time off here, but as we roll into August, I'm heading out to California for uh, Central Coast Blacktail Deer. My favorite state. (laughs) (laughs) As you can tell by my unwoke. Yeah, yes. (laughs) I I, I will say this, this little pocket of California in the Paso Robles area um, is a part that you would like. I mean, it's very rural agricultural. Um, we hunt with a family run operation. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited. I've been out there several times, really excited to be going back mm-hmm. and they're pretty tasty. The, the deer feed a lot on the uh, grapevines out there. Mm. Okay. So, uh, it's, it's quite an interesting hunt and, um, then heading down to West Texas, going to do a dove and scimitar orcs hunt Nice. and, uh, Kansas whitetail and some couple of duck hunts and, um, couple of tactical events so pretty busy fall shaping up yeah so where do you fly into for the california hunt i actually go into san jose and okay. then a couple of, it's a couple hours south of there okay yeah it's california is a beautiful state there's no denying that absolutely no, stunning it's just unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> you I know mean, I, yeah. I truly feel sorry for like the family that we hunt with uh-huh. I, I mean you know they hate the politics of california but they have a family-owned operation that they've had since the Mm mid-40s and it's awfully hard to to walk away from that oh there's wonderful people especially northern california yeah Uh, exactly people like us for sure yeah um okay well i had a um i've had a busy last couple weeks so went to africa and then Uh, yes you did came home for three days and then hit the road for canada and Thankfully, my wife was still here when I got back. That's good. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, she's the locks hadn't been changed on the door. <laughs> she's used to it, but not. I think that was pushing pushing her limits just a little bit. Um, yeah. From you know being gone twelve days, and then right. usually it's like September comes in. I'm gone for ten days for an elk hunt, but she's you know sure. stacking them one after the other. She was like, "Oh, this is you know that's nice to not be a single parent anymore." So, <laughs> Here are the kids; they're yours yeah, now, right? Exactly. <laughs> Bye. I'm going to the spa. Yeah, yeah. What about you for the fall? What do you have lined up? Um, well, I didn't draw any elk tags, so I struck uh -oh. out. So I'm getting okay. I'm uh, I've got my uh, irons in the fire for a couple um, landowner tags in New Mexico. Okay. Which. Uh, you know, New Mexico is unique in the fact that in certain units you can buy a landowner tag and then hunt the public land, which right. I don't really know if they should be doing that, but they do, <laughs> and I'm going to take advantage of it. So, yeah, that's uh, that's plan number one. That'll be September. Uh, oh, I've got an access deer hunt uh, that will happen in late July or, or nice. early August. It's one of my uh, favorites, talking about great table fare. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've got one right i know the hide on the back of your chair yeah. <laughs> yeah um and then henry and i will spend a ton of time at the uh the deer lease and uh, oh of course we'll take the kids out of school for september 1st for opening day of dove season and you've got a new tradition. rifle coming for the girls i know yeah excited about that and my six uh five prc showed up while i was in canada uh so just gotta go swing by thames to grab that um so excited lots of stuff coming up um, I think what else we're doing? Oh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go with Kent Cartridge to shoot. I I think they're called long tailed ducks now. They used to be called yes, old squad. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, that's, that's great. Where my where are you headed list. for that? Um, the East Coast somewhere. Okay. That they're they're searching for the right outfitter. Gee, I didn't know that was on your bucket list because you know yeah. I go to Maine every year and do a duck hunt. Well. Now you know. Now, now I know. There's okay. probably other species on there that uh, yes. in Maine that I would like to to uh, have the opportunity to take, though. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. So that's what's coming up for me. I'm sure there'll be a couple other things that, that get shoved in the mix, but uh, lots of duck hunting too. Got a, a big lake there on the on the deer lease. Um, so yeah, I think I think the main thing for this fall will be though to uh, let the girls try to get. Uh, a deer, a doe, and then let Henry try to shoot his first bird out of the air. So that'd be great. A, a dove or a duck. I, I'll let him shoot off the water. Eat too. Uh, I'm not too. <laughs> I'm not too proud to say that. If, yeah. If he needs a water <laughs> swat one to get on the no, scoreboard. No, that's all right. That's right. Yeah. That's okay. But he shot his first turkey. With I know. The, um, what is the model? It's the. Um, is it the SA four ten? Yes, the SA-410 is what yeah. he was using. Mm -hmm. He shot that. And, that. and then he has the pump action uh, as well, which he will use for um, first attempting to shoot a dove or a duck. But for for that, it was super easy to put him on a tripod. And uh, Perfect. Yeah, he shot shot a turkey. Little Stella missed hers. But you know, she right. has That's the same problem Henry does with uh, she's left-handed. And she was like, saw her brother and sister shooting right-handed she was like no i want to shoot right-handed like, oh. okay well lindell our mutual friend our yes outfitter, yes i told her like she shot like a foot over the turkey at 15 yards i was telling him this and he goes let's watch her shoot and because i had i had always taken her when i took her to practice you know i'm standing behind her 
And so he's he stands kind of to the side and he's like, yeah, she's she's shooting uh, right handed and she's trying to look with her left eye. See, and that, <laughs> I, I have that challenge. I am right handed, left eye dominant. Yeah. And where it shows up most that it really impacts me is either shooting clays, mm -hmm. but turkey hunting. And I think it's because what happens is I tend to want to roll my head over. Mm -hmm. So to solve that problem, though, if I put like a micro dot sight or small optic on it, mm -hmm. I can it, I don't have that issue. But if you just give me bead sights, mm -hmm. I'm really challenged sometimes because it's just instinct for that left eye to want to take over. Yeah. Well, so I, she's now shooting left-handed. We're just we're, oh, or there's the other choice. That's we're right. Not doing that anymore. Well, she's left-handed anyway. But yeah, she's, I, I guess more ambidextrous. But her dominant hand is her left hand, and certainly her left eye as well. So we'll we'll sort that out. And then Frankie didn't go with us down there, um, but I did take her turkey hunting up here by by herself, and um, we had a nice you know father daughter day where we saw the turkeys, but. They hung up like 60 yards outside of the decoys and just mocked us for an hour. Yeah. I was like, do you but, want me to? Because I could have shot it with a 12 gauge. <laughs> right. With yeah, my tactical turkey. No problem. And I asked her, I was like, do you, do you want me to just shoot it? She goes, no, I want to shoot it. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, they got, they're going to have to get a little bit closer. They never did. But, uh, but you're doing yeah. what's really important. You're spending time with them in the field, whether you're successful or not. Oh, I, I kind of didn't really want them to be successful on some level, yeah. you know, yeah. if they did great, but I think it's better if you have to work for it a little bit. That's right. Unlike the guy that shot the eight foot bear on his first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. What, uh, is there anything new that we need to hit on from Mossberg? You know, I'm kind of waiting for them to give me an update on what's coming new down the pipeline. I'm sure mm -hmm. we'll see, you know, there's some new cartridges out there. I imagine we'll probably chamber for those, but I don't have any news for you today on what's new. So we might have to touch base mm -hmm. as we get a little bit closer well, to what the are fall. Those, well, I wonder what cartridges you could be alluding to. Uh, one of my buddies that went to Africa with me as a six, eight Western, and he absolutely loves it heard about that you know there's some more straight wall cartridges that have been introduced those seem to be extremely popular right now so mm. you know i think we'll just have to see what kind of plays out and really has legs to to last okay well you know more than you're letting on clearly but uh <laughs> we are out of time for today linda it's been a pleasure as always thanks so much for jumping on and we will talk to you sometime in the near future i'm sure thanks cable so there you have it our good friend linda powell uh, and, you know, over the years, I've had the pleasure of, of hunting uh, turkeys and ducks with Linda. We've been in, in various camps together uh, in different parts of Texas. Maybe I can, uh, you know, finagle my way into that bear hunt for next year. <laughs> but, uh, uh, always enjoy our conversations. That segment of the show was brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee and SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. Thanks to Linda, as well as our other guests, uh, Ben Cassidy and Gabriella Hoffman. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. It's all flashes now.